Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Well, good morning, Connect Church. Hey, can we thank our team for leading us out today? Always want to be mindful to thank they are here super early on a Sunday morning and do just a great job. Welcome uh, to Connect Church, where it is our heartbeat to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that in three ways. And we're going to love God, love people, and make disciples. And Sundays are a part of just that. So thank you for being here. If you're visiting, we are honored by your, your time here today that you would come and worship with us. And so thank you for being here. As we, as we start out our service today, I'd like to start just a little different. Um, there's a church in Nashville in just about 30 minutes who are going to have their first church service since an act of violence and depravity and evil robbed them of so much. There's going to be a pastor who for the first time in nine years is going to go to church without his daughter. And you know, I just feel like it's sort of fitting that you and I just pray for them right now. So can we do that? Let's, let's pray. Father, we're just a few hours from a sister church that this morning is hurting and broken and grieving. And so as we begin our celebrations of Holy Week, here as a church, we find ourselves faithful to Scripture to not only to rejoice with those who rejoice, but Father, this morning we weep with those who weep. Our brothers and sisters in Christ in Nashville, God, I just want to pray this, that today you would strengthen them by your Spirit, that in the midst of their tears, Father, and their grieving, that you would overwhelm them with great hope. And God, we just uh, we ask that you would protect their church today, that you would move in a powerful way, that God, that, uh, that you would begin that healing that is so desperately needed, not only for the church, but for that community. And so, Father, we just entrust them to your care and ask you to to move in a special way among them today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for letting us pray for them today. And and I do want to, in, in in the midst of that, which kind of breaks our hearts also, be careful to rejoice and to celebrate today. Hey, church, it's Holy Week. It's Holy Week. And what a, what a great celebration this week is. We have been in the midst of a 21-day season of prayer and fasting. And you're like, oh, man, I had no idea we were doing that. Or I forgot to take part in that. In your seat uh, back somewhere, back on the tables back here, there's going to be a, a guide. And, hey, if, if you've not been a part, we got seven days left. Hop in on this prayer and fasting time with us as we lead up to Easter. And remember, the target and the goal of our prayer is not to have the biggest Easter ever, but personally in Christ to have the best Easter ever. Because we've been feasting on him days leading up to this wonderful celebration, and we get to do that uh, together. This next week, four identical services, one on a Friday night that's going to be identical to Sunday morning, three on Easter Sunday morning. And remember this, when you drive up on campus and, and there's a lot of traffic, it's Easter, no cussing, all right? You just, you just wait your turn, worship, pray, 
And come on up and let's celebrate Easter together. I also want to say this. One of my favorite um, images that's kind of this visual art for Easter comes up this time of year. And I love it. It says this. Watch this. A lot can happen in seven days. And isn't that a good reminder As we sit here this morning, a lot can happen in seven days. And so I want to encourage you, be on the lookout on our social media, on your email inboxes. From my uh, weekly email word with Pastor Anthony to our social media pages, over the next seven days, we're going to be putting out really what it is to journey with Jesus through Scripture uh, for this Holy Week. And so we're going to send you out Scripture so you can see what's going on in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus. And together we're going to journey with Him as we celebrate the events of this week. A lot can happen in seven days. I also want to address that during this time of year especially, uh, controversy begins to arise. And, and really, it all stems from Easter candy. I, I don't know if y'all knew that. A lot of people like some Easter candy, and a lot of people passionately hate other Easter candy. So as we begin today, I just thought I would share with you the top three indisputable, without question, Easter candies, just to see where we are as a church, okay? And I'm going to go third place. Third place, robin eggs. How many robin egg lovers do we have out there? Seven of you. Okay. How many of y'all don't like robin eggs? We can't be friends. Are you serious? You don't like robin eggs? Well, they're the third best candy of Easter. Now, here's your second best. I just I don't want them to crack for later on. Okay, here's the second best candy. Um, it it kind of rolled over here. Y- y'all know what this is, don't you? you? Tell me what this is. Now, listen. First of all, when I was a kid, this thing was the size of a football, all right? There's been some shrinkflation going on. But I'm going to tell you something. There's something about chocolate with... That little baby chicken going there, I don't know what's in there, but listen, it is, it's heavenly. How many of you guys love a Cadbury egg? Hey, hey I, had, I had a guy sitting here in the first service, and you know what he does every Easter? <laughs> he wraps bacon around a Cadbury egg and smokes it. God bless America. Anyway, uh, how many people hate Cadbury eggs? Security. Anyway, uh, here is, here's, here's the number one Easter candy out there. Perhaps the most controversial of all. Do you know what this is? This is a Peeps Pop. It's a a lollipop made out of Peeps, right? These marshmallow sugary goodness things, one of the best Easter candies out there. Let let me ask you, who loves some Peeps? Hey, who's my haters? Hey, there's going to be an invitation right at the end. I expect to see all you guys lined up. We're going to lay hands and speak. Anyway, we're going to go all out for this. Hey, but I tell you what, as we look forward to Holy Week, I know there's a lot that goes on into it and around it, but today marks its beginning. And I love it, the start of Holy Week on, on this Palm Sunday, an event found in all of the Gospels. It's a day in which, as Kyle shared, we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, which this motion, these events kind of set in place the very cross and the empty grave of Jesus later on in the week. It's on this day that Jesus was welcomed as a king with palm branches and shouts of Hosanna. And we also know that it's on this week that by its end he would be crucified, a criminal crushed under the very wrath of God, killed because of the sins of all mankind. But you know what I'm thankful for? There's more to Jesus' story. 
And that's why next week on Friday night, three times on Sunday morning, we are going to gather together to celebrate the more of Jesus' story together, to celebrate not only the cross, but a grave in which he emptied. I'm also thankful that the Jesus who triumphantly entered Jerusalem is the very same Jesus who purposely walked through Samaria to sit next to a well. And so today we go back to Jacob's well together. In John chapter 4, you may ask why on Palm Sunday, why go back to Jacob's well? Really, it's in order that you and I could see the type of person that Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem for, the type of person that Jesus faced the tragedy and the terror of the cross for, the type of person that Jesus triumphed over and miraculously emptied his grave for. You see, in John chapter 4, the time's about high noon. The temperature outside, if you do a study of their climate during this time, would reach north of 120 degrees. And this is where we find Jesus. In the hottest part of the day, he walks up to Jacob's well, and there he meets a Samaritan woman. She'd come just to draw some water from the well. And it was there that Jesus would look to her and say, hey, could I have a, a drink of water thus sparking an incredible conversation? And get this, the longest conversation recorded in the Gospels that Jesus has with anyone is this conversation right here. Last week we asked the question of Jesus, and well, what is he after at Jacob's well? And yet it becomes clear in the text that Jesus was thirsty, yes, but he wasn't just after the water. He was after her. He was after the woman at the well. He was after her soul. He was after, after her to save her. And today, we begin to see the aftermath of this meeting at Jacob's well, which would send aftershocks through all of Samaria. Last week we watched as Jesus began to tear down these invisible walls, these invisible barriers that stood between him and the woman at the well. I began to think that there was this barrier, this invisible barrier of racism. Imagine as Jesus goes up to the well and he sits with this woman. The first wall, this invisible barrier he has to overcome is the racism that exists between Samaritans and Jews. Listen. The Jews hated the Samaritans because they were born. Because they believed different and they looked a little different. But they hated them, namely because they were born. Because of, of who they were. And what an invisible barrier to overcome. And yet Jesus does. In, fact, in verse 9, the Bible makes this own little note here. That Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other, and yet Jesus has something to do with her. And then we find that there's another invisible wall or barrier between Jesus and the woman at the well, and that is this reality that is gender division, meaning this, that Jewish men did not sit or talk with or engage with or interact with women, especially Samaritan women at all. But yet we have John chapter 4, it says Jesus does something different. 
Hey, can I remind you something about Jesus? And that is this. Jesus isn't after social norms. He's after souls. And so he tears down yet another barrier that stands between him and the woman. But those were two, just two barriers last week that we began to see between Jesus and her that day. But little did she know that the man she walked up upon at the well that day was a barrier-breaking God himself in the flesh. And so you know what Jesus does at that well? He offers her living water. Living water. And here's where we pick up in the text in verse 11. And so the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with. The well is deep. Where do you get living water. You know, she's asking some practical questions here. Here Jesus stands up at the well. He has nothing to draw with. This well, Jacob's well, is deep. In fact, it's about 120 feet deep. It's a lot of work to draw water out of that well. In fact, if you were to stand over that well today and you were to drop a cup of water into it, you would wait one, two, three, four, five seconds until you would hear that water splash down at the bottom of Jacob's well. It was steep, a lot of work. And here comes Jesus. How's he going to draw that water? Practical questions. And from whose well is he going to draw it from? Watch what she says here in verse 12. And she begins to engage in a question. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now I begin to think of that question. She asked Jesus, are you greater than Jacob? I got to thinking... Greater than Jacob. Jesus created Jacob, formed him in the womb of his mother, Rebekah. He was there when Jacob got second place out of the womb next to his brother Esau who won first place. He was there for Jacob's first breath. He saw Jacob's first step. He he wrestled with Jacob in the wilderness, the desert in Genesis 32. He knew Jacob's weaknesses and he was Jacob's strength. Greater than Jacob. Jacob was just a man. And here she is talking to the great I am. She could drink from Jacob's well time and time again, thirst again and again. But Jesus can give her living water from which she will never thirst again. Greater than Jacob stands before her, Jesus. And she still doesn't get it. And that's okay, because it took a lot of us a long time to get it. And Jesus is patient with her. Reiterates yet again what he is offering. Watch this in verse 13 through 15. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life, the Bible says. The woman then said to him, sir, give me this water. So I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Hey, just give me some of that, Jesus. I love some of it. Water so that I never be thirsty again. Hey, isn't it amazing the role reversal we see here? Remember at the beginning of this encounter, Jesus is the one who is thirsty, asking water from the Samaritan woman, and now it is the Samaritan woman who is thirsty and asking for living water from Jesus. Incredible, the role reversal here. You might say, well, Anthony, I wasn't here last week. When you talk living water, what is it that you mean? 
Well, living water is when by faith we drink from Jesus, meaning we place our faith and our trust in him. And when we do that, he puts in us his spirit, the very source of living water and life that flows in us and out of us. But here's the deal. Before she can drink from the living water that Jesus offers her, Jesus introduces a third barrier. Are you ready? That barrier is her reputation. Because here's the deal. Jesus has a reputation of righteousness, and, and her reputation is, is kind of different. It's on the other scale. She's, she's seen as unrighteous. And we begin to see how Jesus begins to bust through this barrier in her life. You see, another invisible barrier, another wall Jesus must get through is her reputation. Watch this play on verse 16. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Do you notice the lack of details? This is what I looked like when I was in Catholic church and I went before the priest to tell him my sins. No details, right? Look. I sin. I'm a bad boy. Let's get on with this show, right? She's like, look, I, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had, watch this, five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. Hey, church, is it becoming a little more clear to us now why this woman doesn't go to the well in the cool of the morning or evening? Is it becoming clear the reason why she would brave the temps at high noon? Just so she wouldn't be seen by anybody else? Her reputation was ruined. The shame of her sin was before her. And it left her hiding from the other women in her village. One author put it this way, and I agree with him. Maybe she was braving the brazen sun to avoid the searing stares of the more reputable. I mean, I think he nailed it. It's amazing to me. Jesus shows her he knows her sin. And I'm going to tell you, put yourself in the shoes of the Samaritan woman. And there's two things about that. You ready? I mean, it's embarrassing. But in that day, in that climate, it was also threatening. But because of her sin, because of the adultery she has been involved with, it very well could cost her her life under the law of Moses embarrassing and threatening. And so we must ask a question. What is it like to be completely exposed, our sin and our shame completely exposed, laid out before Jesus? And I agree with J.D. Greer here when he says this. What is it like for our sin to be exposed before Jesus? You ready? Three words. It is safe. the safest place in the world to be exposed for all of our sin and shame to be laid before Jesus, the safest place we could be is in the presence of Jesus. Why? Because he came not to destroy her, but to save her from the very sin they are discussing. But listen, she must know what it is that is making her thirsty before she can drink living water, she's got to understand what it is that is ruining not only her reputation, but her life. And so Jesus addresses two sins. The sin in her life of divorce 
and her current living situation, her arrangements. Hey, listen, we know this in Malachi. You ready? I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. By the way, I know very well I'm preaching in a room full of divorced people. Mama, we come from a divorced home. God hates it. You ready why? Because no matter if you're the victim of divorce or you're the perpetrator of divorce, divorce destroys everything it touches. Now I'm 41. Got a great wife, kids. Love my church and community. And a day goes by. And my dad leave my mama. Don't tear me up. It just, and you know what? I didn't do nothing. I didn't cause no divorce. But divorce destroys everything and everyone it touches. And that's why God says, I hate it. And you know what? We begin to think of this Samaritan woman. And listen, that's not just part of her story once or, or twice or three times. Four, see, five times. Divorce has been a part of her story. I want you to hear me. Some of you are sitting at a well today contemplating divorcing your spouse outside of those narrow parameters that Jesus allows for in his words and in the New Testament. You're sitting next to that well and you're contemplating it. When I read her story, you know what I begin to think? You know what begins to well up in me? Don't do it. Don't drink from that well. Don't do it. You see, the Samaritan woman drank from that well five times. And it ruined her reputation. And it ruined her. Let me ask you this, believer, outside those narrow parameters Jesus gives in the New Testament. How can we claim to love God and yet still do what he hates. It'll ruin us just like it ruined her. You go, you look at this passage and you go, but Anthony, why would Jesus do that? Why would he mention her sin to her? Why would he call out her sin? And she already struggled so much. Why would Jesus do that? Bring up her sin. Why? Because without sin, no one needs a Savior. Without sin in your life, in my life, we would never have a need for the Savior by the name of Jesus. Without the acknowledgement of sin and the thirst it brings and the death it leads to, no one would ever thirst for, no one would ever drink from the living water that Jesus offers us. Guys, he exposed her sin. He exposes our sin so that he can save us from our sin. Why would he bring it up? Because he loved her. We try to shout people down and shut them up. And we realize that it's by love in which we expose what is going on so that Jesus can save. Jesus also calls out their living arrangements. The fact that they are playing husband and wife with She's playing husband and wife with a man who's not her husband. Church, let me remind you, in God's kingdom, contrary to culture, in fact, counterculture, that boyfriends do not get husband privileges and girlfriends do not get wife 
privileges in God's kingdom. Living and sleeping together is reserved for marriage for God's design. Hey, don't play in that well. Don't drink from that well. She did. And Jesus is showing her just how thirsty, how dehydrated spiritually her sin has made her. And then you ask the question. You look at this list here of sin and you go, why would Jesus even stop at that well? Why would Jesus even make time for her? This fell out of my pocket earlier, but I asked my daughters if I could borrow $100 from their piggy bank because uh, they have more money than we do. And so um, my daughter gave me this dollar. And Justin Connor, you ready, buddy? If I were just to come up to you and go, Justin, you want this $100? You would say, absolutely, right? You'd want it. What if I did this, hey, before I give it to you, I'm just going to fold it up a little bit. You still want this $100? Let me tell you what happened when my girls got this out of the piggy bank. They ripped it in half. See this tape down the middle? Yeah, it was ripped in half, but by law, it's still a note we can use, right? You still want it. What if I took it, put it on the floor, and I just stomped it and just kept stomping it, right? And just put as much dirt and filth and trouble and stomping on this $100 bill. Let, let me ask you something. Would you still want it? Why? Because the value is still there. No matter what this has been through, no matter how dirty it's been, no matter how broken it is, the value is still there. Why go by that well? Why that woman would see so much sin and shame? Because, you know, no matter what she's been through, no matter how broken she is, no matter how dirty she's got in life, Jesus still knew her value. And he loved her there. That reputation was a big deal, but you know what? She was an even bigger deal to Jesus. And some of you need to be reminded of that today. You've gone through life and it's left you broken. You might feel stomped on. You might, at the heart of who you are, feel dirty, and shameful, and sinful. And then you realize this. So was she. And Jesus was after her. And Jesus wanted to save her because he still saw the value in the Samaritan woman. And so from this revelation, this exposure of her sin, listen to what she says. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You know what I take this as? He goes from a Jewish man to being a prophet. Meaning this, she can see in Jesus that he is a far different man than any of the five guys she married, than the man she's now living with. She sees the difference in Jesus, juxtaposed to those Pharisees and teachers of the law, to the Jewish people who hated her, to every other man in her life. She sees in Jesus that there is something different about him. And so she begins to test the water. She pivots from her reputation to the fourth and the final barrier that Jesus must break before he gets to her heart. And that is this invisible barrier 
of religion. This is where she's going to find out who Jesus really is. Watch this, you ready? She says this in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She's pointing to Mount Gerasim, which is right behind her, that kind of towers over Shechem or Jacob's well area. But you say that in Jerusalem, that's a place where people ought to worship. Hey, let me just give you the religious rundown here. You ready? We have a long-standing battle that is going on here with the Samaritan woman. Because Samaritans, they're not Jews. you, you got to get that out of your mind. They're not religiously Jews, not a different sect of Jews. They're not Jews at all. In fact, the reason why the Jews hated them so much was because what the Samaritans did with the Word of God is they picked and choose which part they liked so that they could worship where they wanted to, not where God ordained worship to be. So they liked those first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy called the Pentateuch. But you know what? They rejected other parts of the Bible at the time of the Word of God. They rejected the prophets of Ezekiel and Daniel. The history books like 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. That they disregarded all the wisdom literature like Psalms and Proverbs. Why? Because they contained in them the God-ordained teaching that the true worship of God would happen in Jerusalem and not on the mountain they wanted to worship on. And so they picked and choose which part of God's word they liked and they didn't like. Hey, can I just share with you a weird challenge from verse 20? Church, don't be like the Samaritans when it comes to God and his word. The the Bible is not a buffet. Man, do I love that word buffet. But listen, the Bible is not a, a buffet where we can merely pick and choose what to believe, what not to believe, what we like and what we don't like. What, we're, what truth we are willing to follow and which truths we will not follow. Let me remind you that we are people of the book, not just some of it, but all of it. We're reminded by Paul as he writes to Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in all righteousness so that the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Guys, we are people of the book, the Bible, and not just some of it. All of it. But see, the Samaritans weren't. And so Jesus begins to confront her religion like he does her sin. Not by catering to her, not by cowering, making excuses for, or watering down the truth of God's word, but by loving her enough to share the truth. Guys, I'm going to tell you, in our culture and community today, we still need to be sharing the truth of God at no matter what well we find ourselves sitting at. Man, people need the truth of God. Watch what Jesus says to her. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. Now watch what he says here. You worship what you do not know. He's calling out the error in her religion. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Guys, this is important. You know why? Because he's speaking of himself. But the hour is coming, Jesus said, and it's now here. I love this. Where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Hey, can I just stop for a moment and remind you that if you hurt Jesus Christ today, you are such people. You are the the true worshipers. That Jesus speaks of here in the text. Why? 
because you've drank from Jesus by faith. Thus you are the true worshiper he speaks of because his spirit now lives in us and overflows in our hearts and our lives with living water so that we can worship him by spirit and we can worship him by the truth of who he is. And he says this to her, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. I know the king's coming. Man, I know the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And as if this was a mic drop moment, Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. I don't know if he dropped a mic or maybe just a pail of water. But I who speak to you am he. Church, before the palm branches, the shouts of Hosanna, the parade in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the king of kings sat down at a well with one of the least of his subjects according and in the minds of so many others to show her the very reason he would one day triumphantly enter Jerusalem, to show her that she is the reason why he would willingly face the tragedy and the terror of the cross, to show her she was the reason that her king would both triumph over and miraculously empty his grave. For the king, the Messiah, is I who speak to you, for I am he. Well, the disciples come back on the scene in verse 27. You see, this whole time they were at Food City in town and they were getting some food for Jesus to eat. As they show up, she takes off. She takes off. Watch this. You ready? In verse 28, 29, then leaving her water jar. Hey, can I tell you something that has not happened and all that has happened here? She still has not gotten Jesus a single drop of water to drink. And that's okay because he was thirsty. But you remember he wasn't after the water. He was, he was after her. I'm going to tell you something. She drops her water jar because she doesn't have to drink from well water anymore because she's found the source of, of living water, found something greater than well water, the living water that Jesus offers her. And I'm going to tell you something. In the aftermath of this meeting, there are aftershocks that go through all of Samaria. Because watch what happens. The woman, she goes to her town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Can I tell you what just, just blows my mind? What she celebrates is the most embarrassing and threatening part of the conversation she had with Jesus. But now in light of Jesus and who he is, it becomes the most celebrated part of her story and her testimony. He knows me. He knows my sin. And he met with her and loved her anyway. And offered to her living water. I want you to hear me. Most of our stories are like that of the Samaritan woman. And the celebration that comes off of it is he knows you. He knows your sin. He knows how many times you divorced. Who you're living with, you ought not be living with. And all the sins in between. But he's after you to save you. And he loves you. 
And you know what happens is, is once we realize that, that Jesus been, has been after us and he, and he saves us, we start going after others. I'm going to tell you, church, the truth is, is that the greatest ministry in the life of Connect Church is not inside of these walls. It's when we leave this place and we start sitting at wells with people who are apart from Christ, who are broken and hurting, and who need Jesus. Later on, Jesus would remind his disciples of this in verse 35. You want to know why I came to the well? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields, they are white for harvest. And watch how this story wraps up. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. What a terrible testimony that Jesus takes and makes a trophy of his grace. So when the Samaritans came to him, meaning Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And watch this, where most men would do everything they could, take days worth of travel around Samaria, he stays there another two days. And many more believe because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. Hey, can I tell you something? What happens at the well should never just stay at the well. I find it amazing early on in John that one of the first people to take the gospel to people of her own town and her own city was not a pastor, was not a preacher, was not even one of the famed disciples, but a woman at that, a Samaritan woman. I love what Charles Spurgeon reminds us. It is the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. And we see that in the life of this woman. I'm going to close with this. Years ago, um, I was preaching here on a Wednesday night. We were early on in the life of our church, and COVID had broke out. And I mean, there were just a few people and just everybody in masks and... It was just a weird time, and um, I had a, there was a young girl at the church who was a teenager at the time, and uh, man, I loved her passion for the Lord, and namely where I saw that passion was that this young lady would sit at the well of addiction of her older sister, not to drink from the well, but to do everything she could to beg and plead with her sister to drink from the living water that only Jesus can bring. I remember that Wednesday night because I looked next to this teenage girl and there sat a a girl in her her early 20s. I could tell that. But from stage, I also could look and see that she had a lot of years on her. She didn't look like every other 20-year-old girl. She had long... And sitting at the well of addiction, drinking from its poisoned waters. And man, it took a toll on her. So as I'm preaching, I'm, I, I'm praying for her. In my mind, at the same time I'm preaching, I keep seeing her over here. And I'm like, this is her. This is her sister. Jesus, would you save her? Would you? Just the whole sermon. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching, but at the same time I'm praying for her. And we get to the invitation time and, share the gospel and I give a chance for people to follow Jesus.
and she wept in her seat. She looked up, indicating that she placed her faith and trust in Jesus, and as soon as the service was over, now went and met her. Her sister, who had long sat at the well of addiction with her, had prayed and worked towards this moment that her, sitter, that, that her sister would drink from living water, and she did. And as I talked with her, she wept at the goodness of God to save her, but she also wept at the fight that laid before her to leave those waters, that well of addiction in her life. For months, we watched as she valiantly and bravely fought addiction, fought to never go back to that well again until I received a phone call one night from her sister. In a moment of weakness, she went back to that well of addiction and it cost her her life. And so I would do her, her graveside service. You couldn't have a funeral in churches at that time and so we were out by this graveside, this 20-year-old young mom with a cute little boy just a few years old who sat right here, now laid in a casket right in front of me. And I preached the gospel and I pointed her family to, to Jesus. All the while her little son was tugging on jacket saying, why is mommy in there? Why are you putting her in the ground? And I remember in the tragedy of all those moments, looking back at her younger sister, a teenage girl who wept and longed for her sister. But without her, without her praying for and bringing her sister to the living waters of Jesus, her sister would have never tasted living water. Listen, without question, a 20-year-old mama is in the presence of Jesus today, not because of her, but because of Jesus. And one moment of weakness in her did not rob her of eternal life that Jesus had already placed in her. But I remember leaving that funeral thinking, if I could love people like that teenage girl loved her sister, if the church would be willing to sit down at the wells of addiction and sin and shame to meet people where they are and to share with them the joy and the hope of the living water we have in Jesus. Oh, how different our community would look. So I have two challenges to close. Number one, once you have living water, you don't ever have to go back to well water again. Once you have living water, don't ever go back to well water again. Because you don't have to. You have all you need in Jesus. And so if you find yourself sitting in some well today, filled with poison waters, maybe like her story, contemplating divorce, maybe living with someone who's not your husband or wife, or hey, by the way, could we just go down every list? Eating too much, drinking too much, apathy, 
No matter the well you sit at. Hey, listen to me. If you are in Christ, be reminded that living water is in you. You don't have to drink no well water anymore. And here's the last challenge that I have. Is that you and I as believers have to get outside of these walls and sit down at wells with people who are hurting and broken with bad religion and bad relationships, with bad reputations, breaking whatever social norms we need to, to sit down with people and even at times people we don't know. Finding that point of need in their life and going, hey, I know somebody who can meet your need because I've been thirsty like you. Let me tell you who quenched my thirst. Let me tell you who gave me living water. His name is Jesus. Living water is in you. You don't have to drink from well water anymore. But it is time for you and I to get outside of these walls and start sitting down at wells. Sharing the good news of Jesus. Having gospel conversations. Because you know this story of the Samaritan woman? It's isolated here in John chapter 4. But thousands of her live in our community today. Thousands of men and boys and girls drinking from whatever well, waiting to hear the good news of the living water, which is Jesus. Let's pray together, can we? As we pray, believer, I just want to say this. Our time today is, is short. We've had Lord's Supper. We're going to watch a baptism. We're going to send you out. What well do you keep going back to that you don't have to? And can I just remind you for a second Sunday in a row that once you have living water, you don't have to drink no well water anymore? I'll be honest. I probably have to remind myself of that about every day. Asking forgive you of sitting at all those wrong wells, settle for well water, and ask him again to make your heart and your life overflow with the living water he's put in you. And let me ask you a question, church, before we, we share the gospel one last time this, while we're together, and that is this. When was the last time you went searching out wells and sitting at wells with people who are broken and hurting and lost and without Christ in order to share with them the gospel. And if in your heart and your spirit right now you go, man, I can't remember a time. Two steps. Number one, repent. And number two, leave this place searching out and sitting down at wells this week, having gospel conversations with people. On our, on our website, I have resources there. We have videos and we have resources for you to access. How do I have gospel conversations? But I tell you what, that's the easy part. The hard part's going out and doing it. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.